everybody it is me matt wright and i am live here on the writer's block a muddied waters media production um thank you so much to the narcissist cookbook for allowing me to use his music at the beginning and the end of every episode of the writer's block for anybody out there wondering because uh i had a couple of people ask me about it when i was at an event this weekend uh the name of that song is good ship you and it is by the narcissist cookbook a uh, great guy from England who I am proud to call my friend named Matt Johnston uh, wrote and plays that song. Um, and uh, he just came out with a new album. You can find it on your Spotify's, on your iTunes, and everywhere. Uh, and it's really good. Uh, I believe, I don't have it written down, but I believe the title is This Is How We Get Better. Uh, I highly recommend everybody go out there and check it out after the show. Of course, you don't want to do it during the show because you might get distracted. And this is the show you're going to want to tune in for. Uh, also, I would like to thank each and every one of you for being here because it is Thursday night and there are so many things that you could be doing on Thursday night and you are choosing to spend it with me. And for that, I feel incredibly honored. Um, so allow me to thank not only you, not only the Narcissist Cookbook, but also Knock em All at Home, the fantastic Kava supplier that i get my kava from because without them life would be so much harder so to knock them all at home to you and to the narcissist cookbook i say bula vinaka so um before i get to my guest and it's a fantastic guest it's the greatest guest in the world just just wonderful just the best guest just 
the greatest guest. Uh, I have to pay some bills. Um, so let's get started. First of all, well, that's weird. First of all, the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing caucus in the Libertarian Party. Uh, also the second largest caucus. If you would like to be a member of the greatest caucus in all of Libertarian Dome, Libertarian Dome, uh, all you need to do is uh, go over to the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus on Facebook and hit the uh, sub, uh, the join, the sure, the join on the group there, and uh, you can join if you want to become a voting member. Head on over to the Muddied Waters store. can get a shirt and many other things uh, so head on over there and pick up your waffle house caucus gear the gravy king tom queter he is running he is rolling for state senate in new york uh and tom queter pays us to say all of the terrible things i am about to say um tom queter uh he says that he runs better than albany which is funny because he can't walk so you should definitely go and vote for Tom Queter, and you know that he is going to be saving the state of New York money because he is bringing his own chair to the state Senate. He already has his own chair, so you won't even have to pay for a new one. So go to TomFor52.com, that is T-O-M-F-O-R-5-2.com, and support Tom Queter today. Mudwater, the most aptly named sponsor that this show could possibly ever have. Uh, Mudwater is a coffee alternative. So if you are like me and really, truly love coffee and being highly caffeinated at all times of the day, Mudwater is probably not for you. Uh, it tastes worse than a cup of coffee and it has one seventh of the caffeine. If you are somebody out there who does not want the Mudwater or does not want the caffeine, Look into Mudwater. It's got masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and it tastes just as good as those ingredients possibly could together. Uh, I recommend adding honey. That's pretty much the only way to make that taste anywhere resembling delicious. Stitches and Glitches and Defy the Power is the greatest tumbler manufacturer, not only in the Libertarian Party, but also in the world. They uh, have high-quality tumblers that will keep your drinks cold for 12 hours and drinks hot up to 10 hours, whichever you want. If you put a cold drink in, it won't make it hot. And if you put a hot drink in, it won't make it cold for that amount of time. It will keep the drink at the appropriate temperature for that drink. Also, you see all of the – you have all of these different patterns and things that you can pick from, all of these different uh, – uh, sure, patterns is what I'm going to go with that you can pick from. But you can customize the ever-living crap out of these things for no extra charge because they are crazy at Stitches and Glitches and Defy the Power. No extra charge for any of the customizations. The only thing they ask is that you do not put them in the dishwasher and these things will outlast the apocalypse. Think about that. Outlast the impending apocalypse are these, these tumblers. 
Um, just don't put them in the dishwasher. If you use code MUDDYTUMBLER, you get 10% off on everything except for customizations because customizations are free and you can't get 10% off of zero. Joe Soloski, he is running for governor of Pennsylvania and you know, that man deserves it. Uh, he is a fantastic human being. He is the voice of Muddied Waters Media or Muddied Waters of Freedom and he is the key to Pennsylvania's success. If uh, you live in the Pennsylvania region of these United States, you should definitely vote for Joe Sawaski for governor. Um, he is able to make Pennsylvania mightier than the sword of tyrannical government. Jack Casey, he's written some books. And from what I know about Jack Casey, I'm terrified to read them. So I never will. Uh, but you should read them and you should tell me if they're good. Uh, he wrote the Royal Green, which is the one that looks like the smoking ring. In uh, Silver Throned, which is the one that's the butterfly knife. And Crowned by Gold, which is the newest one, which I won't talk about what that looks like on my show. Because this is a family show and I am not going to promote such things. Um, but if you go to theroyalgreen.com, you can support Jack Casey and Jack Casey will continue to support us. So it is a symbiotic relationship for everybody involved. So go to theroyalgreen.com so Jack Casey will pay me more money. So thank you all so much for being here. Thank you to all of our sponsors. I love all of you equally. Um, I love you all equally. And allow me to introduce my guest. Uh, she was the marketing director for the Joe Jorgensen campaign. And now she is running for governor of Oklahoma in next year's race. Uh, and she recently was awarded the Judge Nan Patton Award for Service to Children. Please welcome with me, everybody, the wonderful, the fantastic, the amazing, Natalie Br Fantastic. How are you on this wonderful and beautiful Thursday evening? Yes, you do. You know, I'm so I'm down here in um, St. Pete, Florida, and I'm enjoying the lovely fall weather we finally have. Right now it is 77, and uh, we had a high of 87 today, but the humidity was only like 50, so it, it felt... which was a great change well that is good uh and to everybody to everybody sorry about that on the audio thing i tried to mute something else and i forgot to turn you back on uh but you are good now um, Okay. both no audio really you're not getting audio for me fixed it okay good um so but uh yeah so what so what is the weather like in oklahoma this time of year like i know I, I know what Tennessee is like right now. I have no idea that Oklahoma is. So typically it's still really, really warm until Halloween day. It's like we cannot get rid of summer and it's in the high 80s, low 90s and just like horrible. And then magically on Halloween while all the kids want to wear their costumes, it drops to like 40 degrees, like clockwork every time. Wow, that's okay. All right, so a few years ago, uh, it was here in Florida, it was like 90 degrees leading up to Halloween. And so I planned out to dress up like 
Bill S. Preston Esquire. And my friend was going to be Ted Theodore Logan. Um, and we were. But so Bill wears that midriff cutoff thing. Uh, that night, the temperature dropped to an unseasonably cool, like, 60. And here in Florida, 60 feels different. Just letting everybody know before you're like, oh, that's not cold. Yes, no. In Florida, yes, it is. And uh, that was one of the most terrible nights of my life because I was sitting there just wearing this sweatshirt right here with no <laughs> sleeves and uh, running around all night yelling wild stallions. Um, but... For some reason, that is what uh, Florida decides to do to us. Um, so I did not know this until today. Uh, you have six children. I do. So I have a mixed family. So I have four that I birthed myself, and then I have two awesome stepsons. So okay. between my husband and I, we have six and three dogs. So it is very much so a uh, crazy household that we've got going on over here. Right. And so, I mean obviously I have two, two steps on seven and five. Um, mm-hmm. I'm pointing over here. Like, you know, where they are in the house. I'm just <laughs> like they're hiding there. there in the corner, like watching your right. show. Right. Right. Just sitting right there. Don't speak, but learn about Liberty. Um, <laughs> like I could get either of them not to talk. Um, but um, so seven and five, and I know how crazy we are here. Like, you know, we've got, ninja school or martial arts karate i don't know what it is. we call it ninja school um we've got ninja school a couple nights a week and then depending on time of year there's baseball and soccer and after school things i can only imagine what that's like with six in the house it is pretty crazy and on top of that i'm also a coach so i coach their basketball teams every winter and um and during the summer and then i also coach soccer in the spring and fall so uh, I actually missed soccer practice today for this podcast. I had one of my parents step in just so you know. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of crazy, but I, I love it. Like I love sports. I, I'm totally cheesy. Like I love hanging out with my kids and my kids love doing campaign stuff too. So when like I get asked questions all the time, like, oh, how do you juggle being a mom and, you know, running for an office? And I'm like, you know, do you ask them in this? Uh, no, but I, I do always tell them, I'm like, it's, we always figure out a way to like, uh, what I like to call stack habits or stack responsibilities. So like when I take, you know, one of my sons to swim practice and I have to wait in the car for him, I'm sometimes on a podcast in my car or I'm working on my computer or, you know, I sit there and they love coming to events. So like I have all these events this weekend they have their, you know, Natalie Bruno for governor t-shirts and man, they're ready to pass out water and stickers and my 10 year old man, he can, he can tell you more about the constitution than probably most adults can. And he'll sit right there at my <laughs> booth and just tell people why they need to vote for me. So, I mean, we make it work. It's all about balance. And my calendar is, I'll just say, I'm so ridiculously organized. My calendar is color coded by child and location. So we have it down to a system at this point. I'm already terrified that you're giving Sarah, superfan Sarah Andereg, some ideas, and that terrifies me because she is already overly organized in so many different ways. And now she's probably thinking, yes, I need more tabs. I need <laughs> more tabs for my... Hey, it's what makes everything work, I tell you. <laughs> um, so on your website, uh, it says that you're on the associate board for Oklahoma Lawyers for Children. Yes. And that you were recently awarded the Judge Nan Patton Award for service to children. Uh, what 
what is the Judge Nan Patton Award? Yeah, absolutely. So they have two different awards that they give out every year from Oklahoma Lawyers for Children. And so to give a little information on that nonprofit, so they are a nonprofit that does quite a few things. The, the number one thing that they are most well known for is they help represent children in deprived child cases. So when children have been removed from the home um, and taken into DHS custody most of the time, um, they at that point represent the child in the best interest of the child in that case. So they work alongside DHS, CASA volunteers, stuff like that in the best interest of the child. They also okay. provide guardian ad litem uh, for education. So basically helping to facilitate that if a child who has been removed needs any sort of um, special education or uh, mental health assessments or needs that they weren't having met in their home, we help facilitate that as well. So there's lots of really great things that we do as an entity. And the Judge Nan Patton Award is specifically an award that is given to a non-attorney volunteer. So I'm one of the very few volunteers that actually is not an attorney that is donating my time in that capacity. So what I do for them is I help put together events, fundraisers, help you know ask people for money. I, I'm really good at asking people for money. And so people really like for me to do that for their nonprofits. And so um, I help facilitate that. I help come up with a couple of different fundraiser ideas that we were able to do during COVID when we were not able to have our normal galas and stuff like that. And we're still able to generate quite a bit of money. So for all the hard work and stuff that I put into that, they awarded me the Judge Nan Patton Award for Service to Children. That, that's incredible. When, when you're faced with an issue that was created largely by government, um, and making it impossible for you to try to get out there and help people in the more traditional way. You're figuring out ways around it and still able to do the good that uh, you obviously are very good at, um, which yeah. that's incredible. Um, so what was it that made you decide, you know what? I've been helping all, I've been helping all of these kids I've been helping all of these kids. Uh, I just got the Judge Nan Patton Award. I want to be governor. <laughs> where, where was this? So, where did this come from? Where Where was that jump? I actually, um, I love this question because I did not wake up and say, you know what, I want to run for governor. Uh, that's not exactly even how it went. So I, I have been an activist and I worked behind the scenes, not only in regards to politics, but in everything. Like I'm just kind of a behind the scenes stage manager kind of person. I've always been that way. Um, but change has not been happening fast enough and in the correct direction. So I was like, you know what? I'm one of those people that believe if you want change, you can't just sit around and wait for people to do it for you. You have to be that change, right? And so I decided that I wanted to run for state Senate that I tried to do last year, right? We had a special election. I unfortunately had a super unfortunate thing happen where um, I, the verbiage for that seat was you had to have been registered in your party for at least six months, which I was, okay. and living in your district for at least six months, which I had. But the problem was, is when you dug down into it is you had to be registered in your district for six months. And I had moved from one part of the town to the other. And since, you know, I was still super close to my polling station, I kind of drug my feet at re-registering at my address. Mm -hmm. And so I was at five months by filing day and I was not able to actually run. So super frustrating for me, but you know, I, I had a good amount of steam going. And so I knew what I was wanting to do next, which I was going to rerun for that seat again. 
but then my state party, uh, some different people came up to me and said, have you ever thought about running for governor? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm going to run for Senate. And then after I do that, I'm going to do this, you know, and yeah, maybe like eight to 10 years, I'll run for governor. Right. And they're like, no, 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 we want you to run this year. And I was like, whoa, this year, like, like this upcoming election. And they're like, yes, you know, we feel like now more than ever, people understand how important it is to have somebody that is going to fight for their own personal liberties with everything going on with COVID. This is kind of the best shot that we have as libertarians is right here, right now. And we feel like with the fact that, yes, you may not be the most well-known libertarian in our state, but because of the fact that through the nonprofit work that you do, through the stuff that I do with my own nine to five job, um, I work with business owners and entities and nonprofits and coalitions across the state. Um, and I have been for years. And so that groundwork is there. And they were like, we really feel like you would make the most impact as a candidate. And so I said, well, let me talk to my family about it. And we prayed about it, talked about it. Um, and then I was like, you know what, you're right. You know, there is no better time than now to have somebody that is willing to fight for individual freedoms. And um, I've been laying the groundwork and, you know, there's no better time than now. And so I decided to, you know, accept that. And here I am. Beautiful. And let, let's be fair. May, I honestly think I first started talking to you uh, when Tiger King came out because you said that's near me because I made a post about Tiger King. <laughs> and you're like, that's right near me. And But since then, you are definitely the most well-known libertarian in, in the state that I know of anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so you, you mentioned that you had done like behind the scenes kind of work. Has, has it been on campaigns or political, anybody in office or anything like that? Or have, has it been more, you've been behind the scenes with the nonprofit work and, and those those areas because i know that you were the uh the uh, media i forgot marketing director the marketing director for joe jorgensen um so have you been on have you worked on i'm assuming you worked on other local campaigns as well and things and places and things in places um in places. no so actually so joe's campaign was the first libertarian campaign that i had been a part of okay um i had done consulting work and other work for other campaigns um, mostly in Southern Oklahoma. Um, but it's mostly been the work that I've been doing with other activist groups. So there are many, many groups here in Oklahoma, especially those centered around criminal justice reform and those centered around children that I have been donating my time with for upwards of six years. Um, not all of them the same amount, but in some capacity over like the last six to seven years, I have had my hands <laughs> in lots of different um, nonprofits and different coalitions. Uh, we have the Oklahoma Coalition Against People Abuse. Um, they have been um, doing protests at the Oklahoma County Jail every single month for, gosh, I can't even think of how long because of the horrible issues that are going on at the jail. And so I joined them once a month and, and I help protest and I they, you know, I do things for them, like bringing signs, because a lot of times people forget signs, so I'll bring like 20 of them so that we have them. I've helped a lot with graphic art and graphic design and websites and coming up with flyers and fundraiser ideas for all sorts of different coalitions and groups and nonprofits across the state. So I've been, I've been silently working behind the scenes um, for a while trying to help push um, 
groups that were important to issues that are close to my heart. Okay, well, great. Um, so we got a question from the comments and I, I also don't know much about the current governor of Oklahoma, um, but has uh, has Kevin Stitt been anti-liberty in a way? Like, what is it that he is doing that's making that he is doing specifically that's making you go, you know what? I'm gonna run against that guy. So he is <laughs> he's what we like to call a rhino, right? So okay. Republican in name only. He right. has done a decent job in some areas. I have no problem giving credit where credit is due. Sure. And he has verbally been against mandates and stuff like that, but he has not really taken the initiative to make some of the moves that other states have made to protect Oklahomans. So it's like he's giving the lip service, but he's not really putting in the work. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was a business owner beforehand. He had zero, I don't, I would almost say negative, um, ability when it comes to actually the political space and understanding what he is allowed to do as governor, which has stabbed him in his own foot many times. He, he'll try to do things and we're like, no, you can't do that as a governor. Oh, okay. Uh, or, you know, different stuff like that. But like utilizing the 10th Amendment and saying like, no, you have no authority in this area. We are putting our foot down and, you know, filing a lawsuit. Instead, he's been fighting our tribes and doing stuff that makes no sense. Or when we were, he likes to say, oh, well, you know, we never locked down as a state. It was all the cities. And it's like, yes, that is correct. But you did make a mandate that said that the bars had to close at 11 during quarantine. And so because COVID spreads faster after 11, uh, I guess, yeah. like stuff it, like that, that made no sense. Once it hit midnight East Coast time, that's when COVID really starts spreading. And that's oh, why yeah. as, as you go further West, that time got less. It's like, cause they knew midnight East Coast time was the time when COVID would just go out running rampant. And they were like, <laughs> yeah, we, COVID was like, it's time, it's time to party. It's midnight in New York City. So we're just gonna run rampant across this entire nation right now. It's mm -hmm. obvious science. Exactly. And he has done a couple of good things. So like we, he did sign off on a constitutional carry. He has been, I'd say decently uh, second amendment friendly. He has done, you know, some things well, uh, but there's a lot of things that he hasn't done well. Okay. And he's making decisions. I feel too much catering to his voter base, especially since it's getting close to election time than doing what's actually right for the state in general. And I feel like we need to have a governor that has more of a backbone than that. And um, I mean, I, I hate to put it this way, but if I'm more of a man than our governor who is a man, then there's a problem. I'm not touching that one. Um, <laughs> so you have a statistic on your website uh, about education. And if this isn't a true statistic for every, at, if this isn't a low statistic for every state, a low bar statistic for every state, uh, I would personally be shocked. But um, for every 11 cents that the federal government gives our schools in funding, it costs Oklahomans, the Oklahomies, uh, 15 cents to comply with red tape that comes attached. That is the least shocking statistic I have probably ever read in my life. But um, so it sounds like, so in order to comply with what the government is 
mandating in order to get federal funding, it costs Oklahoma, and I'm assu- I'm just going to guess every other state, more mm-hmm. money, uh, more money than what they're actually receiving. Um, what sort of red tape are you talking about in, in this scenario? That's what a great question. So anytime you, you know, request a grant or, you know, request federal money, they typically have stipulations on how you can spend that money, right? So, okay, we'll give you $5 million, but $1 million has to be used towards physical education. And this million dollars has to be used towards technology. And this million dollars has to be used towards, you know, books. Like they, they literally will red tape out what you can spend the money on. The problem is, you know, and this works across the nation, but even within our state, we have a very diverse state. We have lots of very rural areas. And then we have, you know, obviously metropolitan areas like Oklahoma City. And there is not any one school district that needs that money the same way. So for example, one analogy that I like to use is we look at physical education, right? So I live in Edmond, Oklahoma, which is a, you know, pretty well-to-do area. We have multiple YMCAs. We have tons of rec programs. I mean, parks galore. There are tons of opportunities for children of any income because they also have scholarships at all of these places to have regular physical fitness and sports and things like that to keep them active and healthy, right? So they would not necessarily need as much funding for physical education in the school, but they might want to have spend more money on STEM and stuff like that, right? Wherein if you go to like Poto, Oklahoma, which is a smaller rural town, you know, they theoretically may not even have a YMCA or any rec program. So they might actually want to utilize more funds for physical physical education because they don't have those kinds of programs in the community because of the size of the town. So we're taking, you know, schools and we'll say Edmond, for example, and saying, you have to use this money, this million dollars on physical education. They're like, well, we don't have enough kids that want to play sports teams for the schools because they have all these amazing rec programs. So let's build these giant stadiums that we don't need because if we don't use the money, then we lose it. And so we're spending all this extra money in areas that we don't need because we have to comply with these rules of how we have to spend our money, you know? And so then, you know, it even works with areas like Southern Oklahoma where they have the Chickasaw nation that has done fantastic with donating um, technology. We have, prior Oklahoma that has an Amazon call center and different entities where they've donated technology. So it's like, okay, we know we're getting technology donated that we may not need to spend that money on technology. We should be able to take that money and spend it on maybe teacher's pay or to bring in a specialist because we have a higher amount of autistic children. And so we want to bring in another special education teacher. You know, it makes it to where the school districts and the schools cannot make decisions on how to spend their budget the way that makes sense for their school because they have to abide by these columns of how much money to spend. So they spend more money in areas they don't need and then have to spend their own money in other areas where they actually need that. So it's just super frustrating to see how that works out. So if you, when, when you get elected, uh, what, what would you do differently in in the state in order to make sure that doesn't happen? Because you can't change how the federal government gives money to the schools. So what would you do? What would you do to change that where it's not costing Oklahomans, Oklahomans? Yeah, Oklahomans uh, as much. (laughs) It's Oklahomans, right? It is Oklahomans. It depends on who you ask. Um, There's some varying libertarian groups that like to change it to Oklahomies. Uh, There's also Okies. That's correct, too. But yes, Oklahomans is the the proper term. Okay. 
Um, and I, I also, I know because I read a lot of useless stuff that Oki used to be an insult up until, uh, you guys took it back. You were just like, no, we're just, we're going to own it. it. Oki's from, uh, Oki, I'm an Oki from Skikoki. Oki from Skikoki is the, is the song, I think. Yeah, it's the song by, um, but I think that was like, I think that was the one that like made Oklahomans take it and be like, yes, we're Okies. And that was what really, <laughs> really pushed it. Um, so yeah, what would you, what would you change in order to make sure that Okies don't have to spend the 15 cents to the 11 cents that they would be able to get the money's worth? So I would look at uh, basically re- saying no to federal money. Uh, I know it looks super enticing whenever you see, you know, like multiple millions of dollars hanging in front of you, especially in a situation where we um, have such a poor education system. Um, But that comes into the whole, you know, audit everything kind of mindset I have, because per capita, we're actually one of the highest tax states, even higher taxed than California, but we have some of the worst schools, worst roads. So it's like, okay, well, we're we're taking all this money in in taxes. Where is it all going? Right. Right. Um, So you know, basically saying, okay, let's say no to this federal money and let's bring the dollars back as low as we can. I mean, uh, realistically, I probably wouldn't be able to do this in my, definitely not my first session, but even looking at removing the state department of education, because in all honesty, again, individual school districts should have the ability to take their funds in and then spend them how they feel like makes sense for their individual school districts within their parents, with their teachers and their school districts. I know that in theory, okay, the reason that things, I I always have this mindset, like I know there was a good reason in the beginning, right? Like I'm sure there were school districts that were crooked and spending money the way they shouldn't and all those kinds of things. But luckily nowadays, the way information and social media, everybody finds out if anybody's doing anything crooked and you have the ability to vote those people out. If they're not doing their job or press charges, you know, there are repercussions that you can instill for people if they do things the wrong way. But if you set it up correctly, like imagine if every single dollar that you got actually came, you know, to your school and you could spend it the way you want, you know, like a lot of, you know, private schools get a bad, oh, well, you know, they get all this money and that's why it's nice. But if you look at it, you know, I think that it's around $15,000 per student or something like that, that gets put into the public school system over the course of a year that's collected through taxes. That's about on average what private school pays. So imagine if that money got to go straight to the schools and the schools got to decide how to spend that money. We would end up so much better off if those choices were made local instead of sending up the $15,000 per kid by the time it goes up in taxes through the state and then federal and then back down, you get like 8,000, you know, you get like half of that amount of money by the time you pay all the layers in between, you know, it would stretch so much more and be so much more impactful if all those decisions got to be made locally. And going back to what you said, where you said, I'm certain, uh, where you said, um, I'm certain there was a reason for it. And probably somebody was, uh, you know, dipping it you didn't say it this way but dipping where they shouldn't have been like take skimming from the top whatever you know uh i'm certain that the federal government when they are giving money nobody has figured out a way to skim from the top and (laughs) take money right (laughs) from the coffers that That never happens no that that could never ever happen so obviously it's understandable why people would want to take the federal money. Um, so 
you mentioned um, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that you guys have a very large indigenous population. I believe it's like ten percent of the state is indigenous. Um, and one of the issues that you like to talk about is tribal sovereignty. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the Supreme Court case McGirt versus Oklahoma and how how as governor you would enforce it? Yes. So super high level. <laughs> McGirt versus Oklahoma, for those that have not been following, is a situation where there was an individual who had been charged with some pretty heinous crimes that had his attorney who, I mean, really, it was pretty brilliant for the attorney, I'll be honest, basically said, oh, well, you know, he was tried by the state and they had no right to try him because he was Native American on Native land. And of course, the state was like, no, he wasn't on Native land. And the attorney was like, no, actually, you know, the only people that can say that a reservation is no longer a reservation is the Supreme Court. And you guys as Oklahomans just decided upon yourselves just to say no more reservation. So no, it's still reservation. And um, how it was with the way that the acts were set up was that if a crime happens, you know, two natives on native land or to a native American on native land, that it has to be either tried in tribal court or by the federal court. And so they took it up to the Supreme Court and said, okay, this is what they're saying. This is what we're saying. What do you say? And the Supreme Court ruled in favor of McGirt and said, no, you are exactly right. You as a state do not have the right to say whether or not there's a reservation anymore. That is a federal uh, Supreme Court decision, not your decision. You overstepped and they are correct. And so they basically uh, made it to where he could be retried in federal court um, or tribal court. So what that has done, though, is a couple of different things. One, there was an issue of, okay, so there's been thousands and thousands of cases that have then been uh, tried by state court that shouldn't have been. How do we address those? Is this going to be retroactive? And then it also, you know, brings up issues to where, okay, so if these are still reservations, even though the individual lands have been sold off to non-natives and stuff like that, but these regions as a whole are still reservations. So what does that mean in regards to taxes, oil rights, decisions, um, gaming, because we have, you know, Native American casinos, you know, there's all these questions now that it's bringing up. When, and so when you said gaming, I was picturing gaming, like video <laughs> games. And I was like, huh, I did not know that Native Americans were big into gaming, but okay. And then you're like yeah, casinos. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that gaming, that makes more sense. The casinos, oh. yes. Right. So there's all of these questions now that are getting brought up. So the current governor Stitt, has been fighting unsuccessfully tooth and nail against the tribes, which is especially crazy to me because he is Native American. Um, at least by, you know, by Dahl's role, whether or not he is by blood or not, I don't know. But, you know, he is Native American and he's fighting these things tooth and nail. Um, so fighting against the Supreme Court, I feel like that's really kind of tasteless in my opinion, um, because it's very obvious that yes, this causes issues for us as a state that we have to work through. And so like, one of the things that we brought to the Supreme Court was whether or not this was gonna be retroactive. And they did say, no, it would not be retroactive because it would cause, you know, a huge, <laughs> a huge issue here. But, you know, he, whenever he talks about it he likes to place the blame on the Supreme Court for making the decision or for, um, you know, McGurt of the tribes themselves. But my thing is, is no, like this is on us as a state. We knowingly 
were making moves and decisions that we were not authorized to make in regards to saying whether or not it was a reservation anymore. We were just assuming. So that that was on us. So any of issues that this creates is really our government's fault. It is not, you know, the other entities fault that we decided to go against, you know, um, you know, the way that the law had read out. Right. Um, so uh, switching switching gears a little, well, a lot. We're going to jump from like first to fourth. Um, <laughs> uh, so currently in Oklahoma, what what is the state where, how legal is weed? So we have medical cannabis. Okay. That is, uh, we have, this is our third year. We just um, celebrated our third anniversary in June. Okay. And we are currently, uh, we had just had a petition to be able to put recreational on one of the upcoming ballots. Okay. And so it, you're a libertarian, so I'm pretty certain I know this answer. Uh, <laughs> but when you get elected, like what, what are you going to do as governor for cannabis in the state of Oklahoma? So my, you know, my theory is legalize everything, right? Um, because we also have uh, hallucinogenics that we're also trying to get past. Um, there have been so many different studies that have come out about how beneficial um, mushrooms are to people who are having issues with bipolar disorder, um, you know, uh, schizophrenia, stuff like that. And just really, you know, as, as governor, I would definitely work on a campaign of kind of retraining how we look at cannabis and um, hallucinogens, because through, you know, the war on drugs, especially in our age group, we were raised like dare, drugs are bad, pot's bad, reefer madness, all these different kinds of things. And we're actually learning now that these plants are more beneficial and impactful than a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs that we have out there. And it's safer on your body and all of these kinds of things. And so we're having to retrain generations to think about these things differently and understand that, you know, we were wrong on the way that we classified these things. So I would definitely help in education of uh, having people understand that these are different, uh, pushing legislation to not discriminate against those that utilize these, especially from a medical standpoint, because we even have run into situations recently where medical cannabis has been approved, like I said, for three years, but there's still a lot of policies that haven't adapted. Um, there is a fantastic woman. Uh, she goes by IOG, uh, inked out grandma. She has her own dispensary. Uh, she has her own farm. She has her own products. Amazing woman. And she, her, she has a son that's currently incarcerated. So she had went to go try to visit him, but obviously since she, you know, grows and has a dispensary and product and everything, the drug dogs obviously hit on her that she smelled like marijuana. And she's like, right. well, I, you know, I grow it. Here's my license. Here's my medical card. And they refused to let her in to see her son because she smelled like marijuana, even though she is a card carrying legal, you know, this is a legal, legal medication for her. And so we're, we, and it's, you know, I dug into it and they're like, oh, well, it's not necessarily because they are trying to be discriminatory. It's just that nobody has thought about the fact that, oh, we might need to rewrite some policies that are in place to accommodate the fact that times have changed, right? So helping to push through those kind of changes that need to be done on, you know, in tons of different areas. I would also love once we have uh, recreational approved, because there are, is some worry about 
okay, well, what about the medical industry and how is that going to affect us whenever recreational is approved? And I would love to realistically see that, okay, so maybe we remove the taxes or lower the taxes for the medical grade dispensaries and even possibly make it to where people who have HSA cards and stuff, since these are prescriptions to be able to go to medical grade dispensaries and use their HSA to purchase their medication. So there's lots of things like that that I have been working with uh, people within the industry to see what are things that we can do that logically I would be able to do within my term to make a change in how we do things within those entities. Um, but we're still just scratching the surface on some of the things that we feel like we can logically put through and pass in a four to eight year period. Right. So fun fact, Reefer Madness that he brought up um, is based on an axe murder that happened 30 minutes west of me. Really? Yeah, it happened in Ybor City. And that was where all of the marijuana legislation came from. They said a bunch of people uh, were at, some people were at a house in Ybor City and somebody came in and murdered them all with an ax. And they arrested the person and uh, stated he was obviously high on marijuana. that makes you want to go out and do things right Um, i just want to go murder people i want to go be active and swing this axe no um and and that was where it all stemmed from was ybor city um now i don't know if this is legal in oklahoma yet but i'm certain it will be uh i have been working for years to make it legal here in florida uh helping out different organizations like uh hemp for water and national hemp uh, but is legal? Is, is it legal to grow hemp in Oklahoma? So it is, but it is still a little bit more complicated. You have to go through certain processes in order to have industrial hemp. We do have, um, I believe, one or two different farms that actually have grants right now through the um, through one of the colleges where they're actually doing a case study federally on industrial hemp. So we do have some different things going in that area. I do feel like that we are not even close to utilizing that to its full capacity because anybody that, you know, works or understands with hemp, like the textiles, rope, fabric, paper, like so many things that hemp can be useful and it's highly renewable. It grows so quickly. Um, For us in Oklahoma and the fact that we concentrate so much on oil and gas And we're obviously having to pivot because times are changing and we're kind of trying to figure out what we can do. This is such a great avenue, really, you know, industrial hemp that I really feel like we are not moving that direction fast enough um, to really help make an impact on our economy and our state. That's right. I I feel as though most of the country is not moving in that direction fast enough. Uh, One here in Florida, uh, sugar is a huge crop, and we all know about the sugar subsidies that they get from the federal government. And it's because, you know, people weren't buying sugar, so they started giving them money. And then that's why you don't get actual sugar and Coke anymore, because it's cheaper for them to get uh, corn syrup because of, well, because of corn subsidies. And, like, it's this weird thing, uh, this weird circle of bad governmental policies. Uh, but one of the things that we have been saying is switch from sugar to hemp. And you can start making so much more money. Your crops can constantly be returning. Uh, and it would help with all the runoff that we have here. Uh, I am ignorant when it comes to Oklahoma and whether or not you guys deal with runoff. I don't know if you have more than 
like one river. Um, <laughs> we we have a little bit no, I mean, not to the extent that other people do um, by any means, but there's still so there's still so many other boxes that would be checked by really pushing into that area more. Right. And what the stuff that him can do is absolutely amazing. And I've been a huge advocate for it for years. Um, but to, to be able to bring industrial hemp to Oklahoma and help build the economy through that as well, while still fostering the other, while still having the other one, not hindering the other one, but building both together would really put Oklahoma uh, at the forefront of so many different aspects. Absolutely. Um, I completely agree. So last month, you went to an, an Ignite Justice event at the state capitol. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that, what that event was and what it was about? Yes, yeah, so Ignite Justice is a, a criminal justice group. They're actually going to be joining us at the rally on Saturday. Okay. And they really focus on second chances and um, people who are being over-sentenced. They focus on um, some of the atrocities that are happening within the prison system and the jail system here in Oklahoma and really try to you know, shine a spotlight on those situations. So this specific rally was a second chance rally. And so I went and um, helped open the event and spoke about specifically our situation of over-sentencing in our state. So just to give some, some high-level information for those that don't understand how screwed up our system is in Oklahoma, so we are, we have been consistently number one in incarcerating women. And these are obviously all per capita. Right. Uh, we have been jumping between the first and second spot for our incarcerations altogether for years. So if we're not number one, we're number two in overall incarceration. Um, we sentence our nonviolent crimes 78% longer. We are number one per capita for giving the death penalty. And the most recent stat that I found out, actually, whenever I was preparing to speak at that event, was that when you, and this one just like really puts into perspective how much over-sentencing we do right here. If you look at the incarcerated population as a whole nationally, okay, 2.9% have life sentences, okay, of all the incarcerated people nationally, 2.9%. In the state of Oklahoma, it's 12.5%. 12.5% wow. of our incarcerated individuals have life sentences. It's, like it's crazy. And it's time. not because we have more criminals or anything like that. We just over sentence like crazy. And even when it comes to the death penalty. So obviously we have this big abolish the death penalty rally on Saturday that Spike's going to be speaking at. We have all these groups coming in for, and, um, you know, even from the death penalty standpoint from, um, 1976, we have had, 113 uh, death penalty cases and 10 were uh, released or were exonerated as being innocent after the case. So we're at over 7% of our death penalty convictions where we found out they were actually innocent. Uh, when it comes to crookedness and planting evidence, like we've had so many issues over the past, you know, 50, 60 years. I mean, it would just blow your mind how broken our system is. That so, one of the one of the things uh, one of the cases that you've spoken out about is uh, the Julius Jones case. Yes. Um, and how the punishment doesn't fit the crime. What mm -hmm. What did Julius Jones do? So supposedly, 
um, because there is a huge national movement on um, pivoting around whether or not he is even guilty. Because he has stood by his innocence this whole time. And I have looked at the evidence. I've looked at the documentaries. And I feel like there is definitely more evidence pointing to his innocence than there is pointing to his guilt. And I feel like he is innocent. Um, but what happened supposedly was him and another gentleman when he was 19 years old had followed um, Paul Howell, a, a single father, and his him and his sister and his two daughters had just finished uh, back to school shopping. We're going back home to their home in Edmond. Um, whenever he got out of the car, they were the individual was trying to steal the vehicle. They shot him. He fell and died. The sister and the two daughters made it in safely to call 911, and then they stole the Suburban. Okay. I think I said Tahoe the first time I met Suburban. Either way, so that was the crime. So it was a, um, uh, you know, a them stealing the vehicle. They shot Paul. He died. They also ran him over in the process, but I don't believe that that actually had anything to do with cause of death, um, particularly. But that was the overall crime. So it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't especially heinous. And so that's one of the things that I've been speaking about as well. So he has his commutation hearing three days after our rally. So on October 26th, the pardon and parole board had already in another meeting said three to one that they feel like that he should have his sentence commuted to life with parole. Uh, the governor said that he would not sign off on it, uh, that he wanted to wait until the clemency hearing. I feel like this is a very political move because his voter base is very conservative and his voter base is saying, no, you know, a jury of 12 found him guilty. So he's guilty and he should die and he took a life. And so I will tell you right now, if you go back and look at footage when Stitt was first running for governor, you know, four years ago, he even spoke about the atrocities that was going on in our criminal justice system and what he was going to do to fix it. So if he says that he is not going to sign off. If they vote for his clemency, which I'm assuming they will, because they already had voted a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know why they would all of a sudden change their mind. If he doesn't sign off on it, it is purely political and somebody could potentially get executed that is innocent purely for political reasons. And that would outrage so many people, including myself. But to go back to the case itself, I keep trying to tell people, take out the fact of whether or not you think he's innocent or guilty pull that to the side, the, you know, the sentence still doesn't match the crime. When we look at giving capital punishment or the death penalty, these are especially heinous cases, premeditated murder, all these things. And this doesn't even match it for that reason. So even if you think that he did do it, that he was 19, you know, in 1999, and, you know, it was him that shot the individual and, you know, he ended up obviously dying, it still doesn't warrant the death penalty it doesn't right. life with parole or without parole maybe but definitely not the death penalty right and me personally i there is no crime that deserves the death penalty for me personally um and that comes from a lot of different reasonings that i have had over the years uh with how much it costs that's actually one that got me there was it cost more to kill somebody than keep them in jail forever and mm -hmm. once I once I learned that was when I first started shifting and then uh, and then I got then it didn't take me much longer to get to the state should not be making the decision on whether or not people should live or die. Um, mm -hmm. That is not up to them. Uh, if you are somebody who believes in a creator, uh, that is up to the creator to decide after that person does die on whether or not they depending on which belief you're in 
they go to heaven, they go to hell, or they go to you know, heaven or whatever happens if you don't believe in hell. Um, or that's up to the creator. That, sh that is not up to 12 people sitting on a jury that are there being paid $5 a day by the government. Um, mm -hmm. And the government should not be making rules that allow for this to happen. Uh, and it does not matter. Like in the less than 1% cases where you get like your Ted Bundy's or your um, that other serial killer guy whose name I'm blanking on right now. The one that ate people. Um, that's going to bug me for so long now. Uh, but that's less than 1% of the cases for death penalty. So those aren't actual statistics that need to come into play when you're talking mm -hmm. about something with a case like this with uh, Julius Jones. Um, so yes. I know that you are a very busy person um, and we are slightly over, but uh, you have the Capital Punishment Rally this weekend. Uh, yes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and everything else you got going on this weekend? Uh, because I am certain that you have other things to do tonight. <laughs> All getting ready to prepare, right? Okay, so we have an axe throwing event tomorrow from four to six, and that's a fundraiser for my campaign. I'm most excited about the rally. Um, we had actually had this plan for a while and had the permit to do this rally. And because unfortunately, but also fortunately, because I feel like these rise of events have provided a platform for us to speak and potentially help people. Um, because of the fact that we've had all these executions scheduled, the first one next week, and going through February, we're going to execute six people potentially uh, from now till uh, from next week till February, I believe. Um, and so the first ones, you know, and then uh, the clemency hearing for Julius Jones being on the 26th, we have uh, collaborated with many different groups that are going to be showing up here. So we have all of these groups, regardless of political affiliation, that are coming together. We have um, Jimmy Lawson, who's running for mayor, he's a Democrat. He was actually Julius Jones's lifelong friend and helps with the Justice for Julius um, cause. He's going to be there speaking. Spike's going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. Um, it's just going to be a really great platform and opportunity for all of us to come together and voice our concerns about these upcoming executions. And so that's from um, one to three. I mean, even if you're out of state, if you're close by, drive on over. Um, I've heard that the Redacted Caucus had a giant Airbnb or something. So I'm sure I'll, I'll say that I said you could crash there too. So you just message them. Um, Everybody but, heard that? Yeah. You can crash with the Redacted Caucus and their exactly. Airbnb. Come on in. You know, there's plenty of room for everybody. Um, but anyways, you know, there's that. And then we also have a fundraiser dinner that evening. That's also going to be a fundraiser, not only for myself, but so one of my things that is a necessary evil is fundraising, right? But it really hurts my heart to see how much we raise for politics and then it just goes away. And right. so whenever I do these larger events, I always try to tie in a nonprofit. So for my dinner event on Saturday, we're also doing a smaller fundraiser at the same time for a nonprofit called Hope is Alive, which focuses on recovery um, for individuals that struggle with awesome. substance abuse and alcohol abuse. And so they're going to be with us as well and speak about their nonprofit. And we're going to do um, some fundraising for them also. So it's going to be a really great evening. That's Yeah, that's amazing. As a person who uh, has struggled with substance abuse throughout his life and uh, is now seven years sober, uh, I appreciate anytime somebody is doing anything like that. So thank you so much. Um, where can people find more information? Any websites that you want me to uh, throw into the chats? Or yes. Anything? So 
obviously I'm doing a great job getting my name out there and doing stuff, but I still need money. Um, because as we don't have all the packs and super packs that the D's and the R's have, right? So if I'm going to win and be the first libertarian governor, uh, which I will, I need all of your financial help as well. You don't have to be just in Oklahoma to donate. I take donations from everyone, uh, from a dollar up to 2,900. Uh, but go to electnataliebruno.com. There is a big old donate button. There's also a, um, a tab that shows my events, my interviews, my issues, lots of information on there, my social media handles. Please follow me on Twitter and Facebook. I also have my clubhouse uh, name in there as well. I like to jump on there and visit with people and talk about policy also. So, uh, but any, but donations is the number one thing I need help with. If, if you cannot donate your, you know, money, if you're strapped, you know, there's always volunteer positions, even out of state that I could use you for as well. So just jump on in. Beautiful. Well, Natalie, thank you so much. I wish you all the best luck in the election next year. And I hope that this weekend goes off uh, just fabulously. Uh, and I'm certain it will. You you have color-coded tabs for your children. I am certain this is going to be the most organized libertarian event ever. Um, so I have no doubt that it's going to be fantastic. Um, again, thank you so much for uh, coming on and spending your time with me. I'm sorry that I went a little over. Um, no, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. And I will talk to you. Uh, I'm certain very soon. If you get if you if you or your campaign need anything, Muddied Waters is here. Uh, just let us know what you need. And we are here to help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Right. Have a good night. Thank you. you too. Um, so to everybody else, thank you so much for uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we have a lot going on. But before I get into that, uh, I just wanted to say uh, today is a very special day. What is, I don't even know what today is. Today is the 21st of October, uh, which means it's a very special day. And the reason that today is a very special day is today is the birthday of Mr. Murica, the Bearded Truth, who is not only the fourth or fifth best host on muddied waters um he is also uh, a close personal friend whom i love very much he is like a brother to me uh and i just wanted to wish him the happiest birthday and tell him how glad i am that he is uh, a part of muddied waters but more than that how he is a part of my life because he is a wonderful human and uh he deserves all of the love that we could possibly give him here at Muddied Waters. And he does so much work behind the scenes that uh, many of you would never have any clue of, but Muddied Waters would not run without Jason Lyon. And uh, I, because of that, he deserves more than I could ever possibly give him at this juncture. Uh, so happy birthday, Jason. I love you. You are a brother to me and to Spike. And uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, to everybody else, if you like this show, you can hear it. You can, instead of seeing this, and for DG King over on Twitch, uh, if you decide not to stare soulfully into people's eyes, into my guest's eyes while I'm watching awkwardly uh, on your computer screen or whatever, um, wherever you're watching this, you can listen to it at anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters. Anchor.fm 
slash Muddy Waters, where you can hear all of these episodes uh, from episode one all the way to this one. Um, and if you are so inclined, you can always, I hope I don't have that send up too much. I don't, but, uh, you can always become a member anchor.fm slash muddy slash subscribe where you can get exclusive content uh exclusive content that comes out regularly-ish uh and you also will get a chance to join in on the muddied zoom where you can join a zoom call with me and spike cohen and jason lyon and cajun and eskimo and anybody else who uh decides that they want to come in uh, and talk with all of our wonderful, wonderful subscribers, all of the muddied militia, if you were. Um, DG King, that's that, you're right. Just based on the comments that you make, you're probably I probably don't want you on a Zoom call, but I will still take your money. Uh, so if you want to subscribe, please do. Uh, remember, you can subscribe Anchor.fm/slash Muddied Waters. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I was actually going to use that Ebor thing for my fun fact of the week, but Reefer Madness is based on an axe murder that happened in Ebor City. Uh, look it up. It's true. Um, thank you so much. Uh, tomorrow night, you've got Cajun and Eskimo at 9.30 Eastern uh, right here on Muddied Waters. Spike is going to be in Oklahoma with Natalie Bruno all weekend long. And then on Monday, next Monday, Jason Lyon has... Natalie Bruno on his show. And then on Tuesday, 8 o'clock, you can join me and Spike Cohen right here on Muddied Waters Media, where Spike and I will parse through the week's events like the sweet autumn cherubs that we are. Um, and then on Wednesday, that was a lie. I just lied to you, and I apologize. Next Tuesday, there is no show. Um, Spike is going to be flying back from an event here in Sarasota, so we aren't doing a show. And instead, Muddied Waters of Freedom is going to be on Wednesday. Uh, and then on Thursday, you can join me right back here on the writer's block, 8 o'clock Eastern, where please Scotty Bowman will join me in... I don't have many notes on Scotty Bowman yet, so he's either the police commissioner of Detroit, I'm betting he's not, uh, or he's running for police commissioner of Detroit, and I'm betting that's it. Um, so tune in, and we can find out what he has to do with the police commissioner of Detroit position. But have a fantastic weekend. You all are wonderful, beautiful, intelligent people, because you chose to watch this show tonight instead of anybody else's. Um, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. and. I'm Matt Wright. You are perfect just the way you are. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a ten-by-seven cell. It's a stunning the legs I'll go. To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help. Yeah, I am waving while I drive. Don't bother swimming out to save me. If there's room enough for one, there must be room enough for two. I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset. Sipping on savory water till my liver turns blue.
Yeah. Hey. 